Hello and welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. The Tillies are back on home soil and back to winning ways after they defeated Brazil 3-1 in the first of this two-game friendly series. It was an unbelievable game to watch. It was so nice to see fans in the stands, Matilda's goals, a victory. It was just lots of things we love to see, which we will get to in a minute. But today it's me, Marissa Lordanik, Anna Harrington, Angela Christian-Wilkes and Sam Lewis. So we're going to take you through this game and preview the second game of this series, which is coming up on Tuesday. You can still buy tickets for that. I'll mention that later as well. But if you are in Sydney and double vaxxed, go watch the Matildas. Do it for the rest of us. Um, but yeah, so it was a great win. It was a great game to watch on the telly. I can only assume it was a great game to be in the stands but we'll talk about all of it. For starters, though, we will do some you love to see. It's things we love to see on the pitch. So, Anna, please share a, a thing you love to see. I love to see the opening goal. I, I know it was relatively straightforward in terms of a set piece, but it, it felt like it just let all the pressure out of the place. Like, it's quite tense. Matilda's had some clear chances to open the scoring. The, to make a yell at one where she nearly killed Leticia with her knee on the way through, um, being chief among them. Uh, but it just felt like it made the place erupt. And if you haven't watched it, why? It's like, <laughs> just get on with it. Um, but obviously, Steph Catley, whose set pieces have just been off the charts over the past year in terms of her improvement, puts in that great ball. Sam Kerr has the awareness to... Uh, nodded a cross goal and Claire Polkinghorne toe pokes home. Everyone in the Brazil defence is expecting Sam Kerr to, to go for goal, I think. And, uh, yeah, Polk's just a very straightforward um, finish in the end. And it just felt like the place erupted. I think everyone just let out this almost a sigh of relief because in, in those games, sort of back and forth thing, you just don't know. Um, and it set the tone for a really, really exciting second half as well. It gave the Matildas that edge, but it... Um, yeah, it just it just brought the contest to life. We knew how long it had been since the Matildas played on home soil, since they've been able to score on home soil. And it just felt like you just saw everyone rush to Claire Polkinghorne, who does the best celebrations anyway. And it just um I just thought it was just such a great way to to bring football back to Australia. So yeah, Matilda's getting back to scoring ways. You love to see it. We do love to see it. Polk's celebration is a you love to see it in its own right, to be honest. Like, it's never bad. It's always just, like, the physical embodiment of joy, but we'll leave that one for now. Sam, are you love to see it? My you love to see it this week was the opposite side of the game, was right, right, right towards the end in stoppage time when Tony Gustafson gave debuts to two young players, Remy Seamson and Briley Henry. We spoke about it in the last uh, preview pod that we did, hoping to be able to see an opportunity like this given to these young players, and they did. And they got a really good run around. Briley Henry got a couple of really good touches, made a couple of great runs. This now makes it, I think, 12 debutants since Tony Gustafson took over in January, which is fantastic. A lot of young players now coming through. They now see that there's an opportunity to you know to to really get into that side and to make make that position their own uh, and to do it on home soil in front of family and friends in front of a huge crowd in a win against Brazil it's like it's going to be a memory that they keep forever so you love to see it we do love to see it Remy Seamson talked about how exciting it was that she got to do it on home soil and she said she saw a couple of Manly United kits which was her junior club and where she plays her MPLW so she was so stoked to be able to do that in front of her friends and family. Angela are you love to see it? Yes um also that's like a whole damn team I feel like Tony is like uh, building a, a completely new squad um well that's obvious anyway uh my love to see it Emily Van Egmond playing football again and not only that Emily Van Egmond playing in the way that we know she can and just having an outstanding match. Um, she came on for the second half, so subbed on for Kaya Simon, um, played, was the assist for Mary Fowler's goal and also scored the third goal of the match. And it was just such a, I think, classic Eve kind of goal. She sort of just emerged from nowhere and found the ball, sliced it in. It was Beautiful. And that goal was really lovely to watch the build up around that as well. I think all of the goals, really, they were all really snazzy goals. 
Um, so yeah, you absolutely love to see Emily Van Elkman playing, especially in the context she's only played. I think it was Tara Rushton said this on the broadcast. Um, so if it's wrong, go to her. 15 minutes of football since um since the Olympics, which is incredible because she's had some some difficulties getting sorted since signing with Orlando Pride. So yeah, Emily Van Egmond playing football and playing bloody good football. You love to see it. You love to see the word, the use of the word snazzy. Big fan of that. That's fun. Good word choice. Um, but no, like we said, it's been it was a really good win to watch it was a fun game to watch it was very typical of a game between these two sides so let's kind of too long didn't read summarize it how we felt about the game Harrod do you want to kick us off with just general sort of thoughts and vibes it was a real pressure reliever I thought like beyond all the sort of ecstasy and fun that we were talking about before we mentioned in the pod before um as much as this as Tony wants to develop this team bring players through um Sammy mentioned last pod get his style bedded down. They needed a win. And to their credit, they they delivered. We will mention the Alana Kennedy slipover turnover that led to the Brazil goal, but the character to recover and instead of throwing it away for a draw or a loss, uh, kick on and get a sealer was really important. But it was, it was just, I think, everything we needed. If you looked at the Republic of Island game is like a disaster class. This is the perfect antidote. <laughs> this is exactly what we needed to see. I think this is what everyone wanted to see. Um, obviously, it came with a backdrop of pressure. We talked about obviously the the Lisa Devanna situation. This team need also this team needing a win. Three losses um, on the bounce. Um, Tony's first trip to Australia. First trip to Australia in, in you know close to six hundred days. These players weren't even able to hug their families or anything. So it was a really difficult thing, but. Um, I guess the difference this time is, and we saw, um, and we're sure we'll talk about Tony's pre-match press conference where he got the whiteboard out and talked about internal and external pressure. There we go. There's me talking about it. Internal and external pressure and how the best teams handle it. And they seem to have handled it, not just absorbed it, but they they didn't, I guess, run away from it. They took it on board and they went out and performed. And it was like, it was electrifying. And Sam, you'll be able to speak to the atmosphere in the stadium a bit more, but watching it with mates, like, it just was fun. Like when the Matildas are up and about, they're so much fun. They're not just good. They are enjoyable to watch. Like, and Tony is so animated and charismatic and the players were just so excited, not just for themselves, but for each other. And you could just sense there was this whole squad feel. It was, it just felt like exactly what they needed, like exactly what we all needed. And yeah, we didn't need to cop a silly goal that we gave away by a turnover, but sometimes that can be good because it tests your resolve and your response. And they responded the perfect way by sealing the game at at 3-1 and taking the wind out of Brazil's sails and ensuring that it was like a pretty, I would argue, comprehensive victory in the end, like pretty thorough. Um, Sam, you were there um, reporting. How did you find it? The atmosphere at the stadium was incredible. And maybe it's by virtue of the fact that this was the first live sport event that I'd been to and that a lot of people had been to since lockdowns lifted. And maybe that sort of contributed to how electric it all felt. But when the the anthem started, I mean, even before the anthem started, when the players went out onto the field to do their warm-ups, there was a huge roar from the fans who had shown up early just to watch them there. But when the anthem started, Brazil's anthem went first, and they, they had a huge pocket of fans in one corner of the stadium. They were holding flags and banners and had, had all their jerseys on. And they did, you know, what, what Brazilian fans do best, which is absolutely pour their heart and soul into everything that they do, right? So to, to kick everything off with that anthem... And then it was almost like a challenge to the Aussie fans in the rest of the stadium when the Australian anthem started to play because it was just booming. And it was so, we were up in the media box with a a lovely big window that was open and we all just sort of sat there soaking it in because it was so, it it had been such a long time since we had all been in a space like that together. And to be there, to watch this team, to watch this contest, Australia versus Brazil, you know, after everything that's happened, it was, yeah, it was quite overwhelming. And then for them to follow it on with a performance like that, as you said, Harrow, it was the perfect response to not just the on-game question or the in-game or the on-field questions that we had all been asking them, particularly after the loss to Ireland, but 
a response to everything that had happened off the field as well. And that was a sort of a lot of the commentary after the game in the, in the media reporting as well was that, you know, this was uh, the team's way of showing uh, solidarity, a way of showing that they are not as perhaps phased by the pressure as they might have been in years past. And I, I sort of write about that from my piece for ABC as well, where, you know, in 2019, the Women's World Cup, they were going through a very similar kind of off-field situation and it did affect them. You know, some of the players came out after that World Cup and said, you know what, like it, it, it was hard. It was really hard and it, 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 it affected us on the field as well in our performances. And I feel like maybe by virtue of that, they've sort of learned perhaps how to deal with that kind of pressure a little bit better. And again, Harry, as you mentioned, Tony Gustafson whipped out that whiteboard at the at the pregame press conference and and drew that diagram um, and talked about pressure and, and talked about the zone in which high performance athletes need to be able to operate if they're to be successful. And that's in that middle zone between internal and external pressure. And I think having someone like him who has such a thorough understanding of the complexities of pressure and the ways in which you can embrace it and channel it and its energy into your performances, I think has played a really big role in what the Matildas are doing at the moment. So I'm really curious to see if they're able to kick on on Tuesday and make it a clean sweep and then hopefully into the November window as well. Sam, before I jump into Angela, the thing about the circle, it just reminded me of seeing some of the footage post-game when Tony had them in in a circle. Like we saw this happen after the losses, get to Sweden and the US, but he had them in, they're all revved up and they're all clapping and they're all getting around each other. And I really love that you could sense that even the bench players who didn't get a run felt a part of it. It wasn't just like you had your 11 go-to star players. Like it was, they were all in and they all felt a part of it. And I think that was a real testament to the way that they clearly have handled these past few days they um and the way tony has sort of brought them all together it's um it was really impressive angela what were your thoughts initially on the game it's been a while yeah it's been a whole two days not much has left is left in there but um yeah it was just really exciting football a lot of it was end to end and there was i was really taken with the sort of i guess just the cohesion and, and the way that they, they seem to mesh really well. And that was really apparent, I guess, in the results and in the things like the goals as well. Um, but yeah, it was really fantastic. Um, yeah, just wonderful to watch, I guess. I don't really have too much more to add. Um, and in terms of just thinking through who played well and, and, and that sort of thing, it was really great to just have so many names that can just roll off the tip of the tongue in terms of who had great performances. Um, I don't know, Anna's got, some names there that she'd love to share some thoughts on but yeah I thought it was it was great and also I just wanted Lids I on that note Lids in golf so her full 90 since the yeah game against New Zealand at the Olympics where she looked a little bit I don't know just a little bit off kilter but she she's back in form and it's great to see and I'm, I'm really curious to see who will be in goals next game another interesting thing as well um that I'm sure we'll get stuck into the, the formation change. So going to a back four I mean, and having Steph Catley and Ellie Carpenter on the wings was a big, was a big thing. Uh, I reckon, I don't know. That's not a particularly spicy take, but. Should we get straight into that though? Because it, it, it clearly paid off, didn't it? Like well, Sam, you were there watching Ellie Carpenter and Steph Catley bomb down the wings. Brazil had no answers for some of that. So Steph Catley's amazing assist for the for the winner I I think unless you watch it multiple times it's hard to grasp just how good at football you have to be to make that run to control it to fight off those couple of defenders and then to make the perfect cut back to the player that you know can execute and to make you help have some quite good awareness um, in the area to let it run through to Van Egmond as well and sort of drag a defender away but yeah it to me it just felt like of course Tony knew that Steph Catley and Ellie Carpenter are better as wide players, but clearly there was some pragmatism. There was defending through the centre that needed to be done through the Olympics and also just developing, I think, the skill sets of Ellie Carpenter to a lesser extent, Steph Catley, who'd played centre-back a fair bit in the past. But it almost felt like this is really, as much as it's a friendly, a must-win game. You have most of your best players available. We saw Emily Van Egmond come in, albeit off the bench, Kaya Simon back into the fold and just went, oh, screw it. <laughs> let's go to the back four. Let's just let him go. 
let's just let them run. Let's just let them take it on. And it, I think it was exactly what we all thought would happen if, you know, they were just sort of taken off the leash, just let go. It was um, super exciting. It was, um, yeah, it, I think you got all the positive things you wanted to see. I think they put Brazil on the back foot really early on with a couple of really penetrating runs and maintain that energy. And I'll later on go into the introduction of Emily Van Egmond, which I thought was quite pivotal. Um, but I liked it. Um, it just felt like we had more energy. We didn't look quite so overrun in midfield as we had in some other games, the Republic of Ireland one with Denise O'Sullivan just sort of did what she felt like. Um, it, it felt like... You know, it was the the right formation for for this occasion. It, it clearly just had us on the attack the whole time, Sam. So yeah, had- it was a, it was a kind of in some ways it was a kind of classic Matilda's performance in that way. Like the formation uh, enabled our best players to do their best things, and you saw that very early when Carpenter just immediately started bombing forward. Right within the first couple of minutes, she was doing what she does. Steph Catley down the left as well. But also I think we need to mention Tamiki Yallop being brought into central midfield and making those runs from 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 those deep, star. from those deep pockets, right? And you mentioned um, that she had sort of the first opportunity on goal when she almost murdered uh, Brazil's goalkeeper, Letitia, with her knee, which is, well, the whole thing. But, you know, she had, to, she had to be in a particular space and make a particular decision to get there, right? And she could have scored had Letitia not been incredibly brave and come out and smother that ball. Um, so I thought Yallop was excellent. And she was sort of free-floating in some ways as well, sort of reminded me a little bit of what Kaya Simon used to do for the Matildas, where she'd sort of, she started in, in middle pockets. She would make those deep runs um, through to break through the line. Sometimes she'd come out wide, sometimes, you know. And I think that freedom um, is really good for a player like Yallop because she has the engine to be able to pull it off. So, Vintage Nika yeah. Yallop, Sam, I would say, like as well. Yeah. Like, when she's at her best and bombing forward, you, you can't go with her. It's funny, I talked with her during the week and I asked about the wingback thing and she said, oh, you know, it's more defensive than normal. Clearly just <laughs> keeping her cards close to her chest that she was, wasn't about to just come out and explode in her usual yeah. role. But, yeah, it was a shame she didn't actually score that one, Sam. I, I like your point about her energy. She just didn't stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think maybe the the formation and having those um, vintage players, I guess, playing in their natural positions sort of helped in terms of the midfield question as well, because it was quite an inexperienced midfield when you've got both Mary Fowler and Kyra Cooney-Cross starting in there together. And you had a Yallop uh, every now and then. You had a Kaya Simon sort of drifting in every now and then. But, you know, that's still a pretty inexperienced midfield, but they didn't look out of place. And perhaps that was by virtue of being surrounded by so much experience as well. I thought Kyra had a really, really good game. It was understated, but she was really good. And Mary just continues to just bewilder me like she's just an extraordinary athlete she had made so many good decisions in tight spaces she's got the technical ability to be able to wiggle her way out of two or three players at a time she had made some sensational cross field passes to open up opportunities as well she's just and un- like we talk about her all the time but she is honestly just an incredible athlete it does sort of feel like there's it's a new era. It's like there was pre-Mary Fowler and now there's Mary Fowler and it's just such an exciting thing to watch her play. I know so many people feel that when they see her. She's, yeah, incredible. The thing I like about Mary Fowler, and we've talked about it in other pods, is she just makes things happen or looks to make things happen. It's like she gets the ball and goes, well, what am I going to do with it? Like what can I do? What's the maximum possibility I can create from having the ball here um, and that's not to say that she's always looking to make to take risks but she takes calculated risks and she's just got the internal confidence and work rate to know she can do it and the thing that is super exciting um, about her now as well is she's doing all the hard work in terms of the defensive running the pressing we talk again we've talked about how this has developed in recent but just you just noticed her work rate she was going she was closing down she was cutting off angles all the little things that you want to see from your your players you want to see them do all the sort of non-negotiables and she's just doing them so well and but then she's so exciting. Like you, she's genuinely um, 
one of those players that sort of brings you along for the ride. Like she just looks like she's having the best time when she's playing football. And it's been talked about before. She obviously grew up with four siblings. They're all playing football a lot in the on the beach in Cairns. And I know a friend of the pod, Vince Rigari, likes to plug an article he's got from a couple of years ago about this. But this is just a kid who loves to play. And um, I think it's a real credit to Tony and his team. And obviously there's some people over in Montpellier who've done some good work as well. But how they've managed to take that sort of raw talent and added um, that focus on work rate and doing all those little things that the really great players do and um, getting that combination right. So she's still got that natural flair and that's not being taken away. She's not being put into a box and having to play a really rigid game style, but she's doing all the little team first things. And then, like you mentioned, Sam, some really good cross-field balls and the awareness and the way she read the ball for that header at the end. Geez, Brazil are not going to want to watch the tape of when they just gave Emily Van Egmond half a year to put in a delightful cross and uh, Mary Fowler to um, head that one home. But she's got the awareness, she's got the poise, she's got the finishing skills and just so exciting. And when you think hopefully there's going to be 10 maybe even 15 more years of Mary Fowler, that's going to be a treat for everyone in women's football, not just for us, not so much for Ireland, um, but (laughs) for all of us and for all those people who love to watch women's football, incredible. And you have to think if she keeps going at this rate, a big club move isn't going to be too far away either. So sky's the limit, but we all knew that. One of the other things that I've really liked about watching Mary Fowler over the last six months is she seems now so much more comfortable in this team. And you sort of saw that when she celebrated her goal. So I remember when she scored her first goal and it was quite, she was a little bit like, oh, like, what do I do? I don't know. I'll like, I do a couple little high fives. I'm like, oh yeah, thanks. And like had a little smile, but the goal that she scored against Brazil, like the first person that she ran to was Sammy. And she wrapped her arms around her and she hugged and everyone flocked over to her and she just had this huge beaming grin on her face. So you can tell really that Mary is starting to understand and really appreciate the role that she now plays in this team. It feels like she knows that she is appreciated, that she belongs there. And that is such a huge deal, I think, for a young player coming in, particularly given the situation with Mary after the last couple of years, you know, where there was this back and forth about who she would declare for and, you know, and and everyone had already sort of heard about this wonderful teen sensation called Mary Fowler, but nobody had ever really seen her play at the international level. So we didn't really know. She was just just surrounded by questions. She was like that meme with all the little question marks around her. So we didn't really know. And I think, you know, even though she was young and she seemed to have been shielded from, from it quite a bit, it, it did seem to sort of affect her when she first came into the Matilda's fold. I think she, she didn't really know where she sat with people. Um, but now she's here and she is proving herself to them and she's proving that she belongs. She's now starting to internalize that, I think. And so you start, you see that in the way that she celebrates, you see it, as you said, Harry, in the way that she commits to the, the rest of the team stuff that you need to do on the field, the stuff that, you know, even though she's an absolute superstar, it's the, it's the smaller things that you need to do in order to help everyone else around you to be better. So she's starting to do all that sort of stuff now. And I think that that is what's going to make her a, an exceptional player moving forward. It's interesting. I was looking back at, I had a one-on-one chat with Tony before the Olympics and I asked about um, Mary Fowler and Kyra. And he talked about all the things we've just been talking about. And the quote that I remember using was, he basically said, and this is pre-Olympics as a note, Um, They need to come in and feel that there's other players to actually carry this team in this tournament. And they're these young, energetic, sparkling, free from fear players that come in and do their thing when they get the playing time, whether they start or come off the bench. I want them to be themselves and the best version of themselves and not feel that they have expectations to break through, just to come out and play and enjoy the moment and being in this tournament. I've seen a little bit of commentary uh, online since the game asking, why isn't Mary Fowler playing more at the Olympics? I think it's worth having some context. Let's have a look at some of the Matilda sports. Sam Kerr speaks for herself. Caitlin Ford, Arsenal superstar. Hayley Razzo wasn't there this weekend, but Place is now at Manchester City, like <laughs> a move from Everton. Kai Simon, one of our best players at the Olympics. Like she wasn't, she didn't have mugs in front of her. And also when you're playing so many games close together and you're trying to manage workloads and get a player settled in, I can't imagine you'd be trying to burn out a young player um, by 
back-to-back starting roles. I think we're just seeing the constant evolution of Mary Fowl. And you mentioned Sam, she was almost surprised by her goals early on. There are a couple of cop deflections and that sort of thing. But this one was just so pure, just uh, the header. She nailed it, couldn't have done it any better. And just such an exciting player, like just a joy to watch. I wonder if that sort of, you know, put on the kids and, and put on the kids for 90 minutes sort of perspective maybe comes from our last teen sensation was Ellie Carpenter who had like a very steep trajectory to being in, like she was just suddenly in the Matildas and a mainstay because she was fantastic but also I think possibly that could have been due to the sort of yeah depth that we would have had in the defensive line and still possibly in the defensive line but anyway but yes you're right Harriet and I think it's it's great that it's sort of been an incremental sort of bit by bit with Mary and in terms of her development, as you say, over the past six months in particular, I remember Sam talking about um, after the Netherlands game, I think it was, she was sort of playing, you talked about how she was playing, sort of like she didn't really want to be there 100% and then something has shifted and like Anna said there, she's obviously, obviously got a team around her that is bringing out the best and has been able to sort of, I guess, light a fire under her belly and and get her to work hard and she wants to work hard as well with that the sort of meshing in with this team as well so yeah it's been really um fantastic I think just watching her grow over yeah the past this year in particular I wonder how much it's helped that there has been you mentioned earlier Sam's 12 debutants and a fair chunk of these players or even the ones that have some earlier caps like your Carly Ross Perkins are younger like I can imagine when, like at the World Cup, Kara was a standby player. So didn't actually go to the World Cup. She was at the training camp in Turkey, and Mary were these two teenagers in amongst a bunch of players that by Ellie Carpenter was sort of hitting their mid twenties or older. Now you've got all these various players you mentioned, like Remy Simpson and Briley Henry, but even your players like Charlotte Grant, Charlie Grant, um, Angie Beard. Uh, we've had India Page Riley come through camp. Like we've had a few different players around that age group that would have played young Matildas together or would have played against each other in W League, these sorts of things. And they're just, you've got a few kids that are coming through as well. You get a few people around your age group. So you're, so you're getting settled with your whole team, but you've also got a few players around your age that you can just chatter away with and that sort of thing um, will probably help too. And it's probably a good way to roll into Kara Cooney cross-chat because, as you mentioned, Sam, played a really understated role in defensive midfield. Tony has been really keen to play Kara in the six role to, you know, get her in that more defensive role. She's got the composure. She's got the smarts. The thing I really like about her as well, she's got this awesome explosive burst of speed and we've normally seen that used um, at W League level as a 10 or a box-to-box midfielder, like creating and getting forward. But... Clearly, like, we need to figure out what's going on in defensive midfield. And Kyra's been super impressive. And I hinted at this to Marissa pre-pod because I like to give her the occasional treat. But it felt like this, the role that they want, would play Elise Kellen Knight in if she was fit. And not just the role like, oh, yeah, duh, you're playing at the six. That's where Elise Kellen Knight plays. But, like, in terms of the way she played, and there were a couple of balls. There was one out to Caitlin Ford on the, the left wing at one point where Kara just, like, launched it beautifully. And we know she's got the passing range. And to me it just went, that's how they see her playing when she plays this role is she can do all the hustle and bustle. And much like Mary Fowler, I remember Tony saying, these are the things Kara had to learn, doing the little defensive things and those off the ball things that were really important. And that was one thing I really liked about her game the other night was she'd get the foot in like really good defensive midfielders, just find a way to prod a ball away to safety or to pinch it or to just break up passes. And for me, she's getting better and better at that by the minute she can rush back when we don't have Chloe Legazzo, who's running is enough for two players. It's extra important to have someone in that defensive role. Who's got the burst of speed. Cause right now we don't have that covering player. Like, we got bailed out so many times, even at the Olympics by Chloe Legazzo running back to make a crucial tackle or to put pressure on to make sure a shot went awry. So without a player like that or with Tamiki Yellett playing further forward, you need a bit of pace in that defensive midfield role. 
And I thought Kara was excellent. It's one of our best games from the Matildas. I think we first thought we might see her make her mark maybe by like pinching a goal or something like that, but pinching the ball off people and then launching counterattacks and doing all the right things in that role. It was just so exciting. And as you say, Sam, understated because it's not going to catch the headlines the way Mary Fowler lighting things up in that sort of attacking third of the pitch will. But just so impressive, like composure beyond her years in a role that she's not necessarily played a whole lot at club level. And I also thought it gave, um, when Emily Van Egmond came on, it just gave her a licence to be the player we all know she is. Again, we'll talk about Van Egmond a bit further down the track, but you just have to think she's only going to get better and better as well. And once again, it's another young player that could be a 10, 15-year national team player, and that's just so exciting. There's a moment that stands out to me um, in terms of Kyra's game. I think it was towards the back end of the first half. Brazil had a corner and it was well defended and, and bombed upfield. And the first person who was charging out of the box to, to chase the ball down was Kyra. And she sprinted half the field in the space of 15 seconds. She didn't get the ball and she ultimately had to sort of slow down and turn around because the ball was taken and recycled or whatever. But just that kind of commitment and the ability to do that, particularly knowing that she's meant to be a defensive midfielder, but seeing the situation as it was, knowing that she was the player who had the speed who in order to make that challenge and make that high press and committing to that for half a field, I think was really impressive for someone so young for someone who's only just come into this environment, for someone who's learning so many new skills as a defensive midfielder, someone who maybe has not been asked, perhaps by virtue of her natural talent in the past, to rein things in and to commit herself to the team more than just trying to show what she individually is capable of, which I think she did very much at Western Sydney um, and at Melbourne Victory to some extent as well. So that's that's what is has really impressed me the most, I think, with Kara. Like we haven't seen the the Kyra of W League fame we've seen a, a, a sort of more mature more educated more uh, sort of game wise Kyra over the last couple of games that she's been playing in this deeper role um, and you're right Harry like the the fact that she's in there now means that we don't need to have a Van Egmond come in and play as a defensive midfielder where she she's fine but she really excels when she's further up the field which we obviously saw against Brazil um, I do think that she has a lot of, of room to grow. I think one of the, there were a couple of times where she was just sort of bullied off the ball because she is she's small, you know, like she's a, she's a little gal. She, so that doesn't mean that she's, she can be a bad defensive midfielder. Right? One of the best defensive midfielders on the planet is Formiga, who is probably the same height as Kara Cooney-Cross, but she has that gravity to her. She has the muscle. She's got the balance. She's got all the stuff that you need to be that sort of bulldoggy type of player. Um, and it just, it's, it almost feels like Kyra's doing it backwards where she's got the attacking instincts of a, of a really good defensive midfielder already. She's got the ability to make those long ranging passes. She's got the, the turn of pace to be able to like quickly um, counterattack and to press. But now what she's trying to do, I think, is to add all those more defensive, more restrained elements to, um, to her toolkit, which is, I think she's proving that she's pretty capable of learning things quickly. Sam, it's interesting um, seeing from the press conference Tony talking about being with the pressure stuff, being a teacher. And it feels like these players, I don't want to pull out cliches, but they are getting their football education. It's happening a bit on the run. Like we mentioned before, Ellie Carpenter playing centre-back. In an ideal world, Ellie Carpenter's not playing there. But in tournament football, sometimes you're going to need to have a speedy centre-back. That's how things work then. And we mentioned... Mary, we mentioned Kara. These players are being tested. Like Mary Fowler's not just being played as a striker. Shima will be striker of the future for us, but she's done excellently in midfield. And that's been quite a steep learning curve from those couple of friendlies where we got battered to um, Saturday night's game where she was one of the stars of the show. Again, Kara Cooney-Cross, the breakout star of the W League. Like if Michelle Heyman hadn't just banged in all those goals, she probably would have won the Julie Dolan medal like as a teenager, um, which is a sort of thing that happens with like stars. <laughs> so, you know, these, these are kids that are going to be really, really good players and they're just going through really crucial core parts of their education to round them out. 
and to make them really well-rounded players. And yes, you want to get, you want to maximize your strengths and be the best you can be at the things that make you special. But to be, a, as you said earlier, Sam, to be a really, really top-class players, you have to get the little things right. Sam Kerr is the one that is so often heading the ball away from defensive set pieces. She is the, so often the one, one chasing back and making little interventions. And so at one point, Caitlin Ford ended up running all the way back to left back as well. Like good players, really, really good players get those sorts of things right. And they build their tanks. They can do what Steph Catley did um, late in the game to, to get the winner, to make those bursting runs. And these players are just going to get better and better. And it's going to be so exciting to watch them grow. And, um, yeah, I love what you said there, Sam, because it's not the role that she was familiar with in terms of, you know, being, I guess, maybe the pressure of trying to come up with game-winning moments or game-changing moments. It's just a really, really, really solid contributor for 90 minutes. And at the end of the day, if that gets results, that's what you want. And these players are only going to be better for it. I wanted to add two things about Kyra and then we'll move on to other players. And I think kind of flows nicely. But the two things I wanted to say about Kyra was, I think, Anna, you mentioned it, that ball that she did to the left wing, to Caitlin Ford, I saw that and I was like, wow, that was great. Then they showed the replay on the coverage and I genuinely had the TikTok meme moment of I've watched that in slow-mo and then the camera's cut back to me and there's wind in my hair and Taylor Swift's Wildest Dreams is playing and I was just looking at it like, wow, that was amazing. That was ec- I loved that. That was really, really good. So that's just me being a... a well, you have to like that TikTok. All right, we'll do it. Um, yeah. yeah, that's me being a, a Kyra enough and a Taylor Swift enough at the same time, but... I think the word that you use, Sam, that has escaped me now, but about Kyra being kind of unsighted but doing all the work, I keep thinking about her in terms of um, the domestique. So in road cycling teams, there's a member who's the domestique and the Western Bulldogs also use that as a an award during their postseason for the player who does the team thing that maybe no one else notices, but the team knows that they've done their role exactly as it was meant to be done for the benefit of the team. And I just feel like that performance from Kyra really was a domestic performance. No one is going to, you know, write about Kyra Cooney-Cross did a really good tackle and that's going to be the leading headline, but she did exactly what she needed to do. And it was just so exciting to see that maybe she is the answer to the sixth question. Maybe she's one of a number of answers to the sixth question. So it's nice to have that kind of, excitement around a potential answer to a question we've had for literal years we alluded to it as well that her being the six allowed Van Ekbon to push forward so I think we need to talk about that Anna as the chief of the believers society I think you should have first run it talking about just how delightful it was to see Van Ekbon in that more advanced role I'm disappointed I didn't get up earlier to make another I was right Sign. I would have gone with we were right because I think I don't think we have this problem here on the far post. I think there's a lot of non-believers out there that don't rate Emily Van Egmont, which to me is bizarre. Um, we've talked about this, Sam, you mentioned it before. She can play as the number six. That's not her best role. Everyone that watches her play knows her best role is when she is in that free-flowing attacking role because she can just create chances out of nowhere. She has an eye for goal. She gets into the right place at the right time. Um, she can just she can do it all in an attacking role. And for me, the main actual impact beyond the goal and the assist, yes, she had a goal and assist after coming on as a sub at halftime, which just shows how influential she was. But for me, she was a player that could get her foot on the ball and keep it there. We're all a bit frantic in the first half, as much as we enjoyed what Tamika Yallop and Mary Fowler and Kyra Cooney-Cross were bringing to the fold. There was a, low, a real need for someone to just get their foot on the ball, keep their foot on the ball and slow things down at times because we were on top, but we were letting things getting a, get a bit too sort of end-to-end and hectic when it didn't need to be. And one thing a player like Emily Van Egmond, who has so much experience, um, is so like unflappable. <laughs> she doesn't really get phased. And I think that may be where some people don't necessarily enjoy her style of play because it almost looks laconic. Um, like just sort of cruising around, uh, setting up goals. Um, and she's not the quickest player, but she just calmed things down. She got her foot on the ball at times in slightly more defensive roles. As we mentioned, she wasn't in a defensive role, but she was there to cut it out if it needed to be. But even just in attack, she just finds that extra bit of time and space and can make things happen. 
as I mentioned before, Brazil will be like watching that clip of Mary Fowler's goal for ages, just being like, so at what point did we just decide to sit off probably the most composed player in the Matildas and let her put in the perfect ball? Um, but that's the sort of player Emily Van Egmond is. She can just put those sorts of balls in and makes them look so effortless. And it really excited me that she put that ball in for a player she hasn't played a heap of football with in Mary Fowler. Like, you know, we've seen her do that for Caitlin Ford and more often for Sam Kerr or even Claire Polkinghorne, say, at a set piece, like players that she's played a lot with. But when you can introduce a player like that, and I wouldn't be surprised maybe even if she starts, I don't know how she'll have backed up, but to see her combine so well was really exciting. And, I mean, at the end of the day, she delivered a crucial assist for a goal that put us in front, and then she was in the right time at the right place. And as a general rule, when players are in the right time at the right place, it's not a coincidence at this level. They know where to be. They know where to run her and Emily Van Egmond's case to hold off and wait for it to come back to her and we saw her do that in that Olympic qualifier when um, Kaya Simon laid the ball off to her but she just to me felt like the player that steadied the ship and made we were on top in the first half but in the second half we were on top but bar the defensive slip up were, the, were composed and on top and I thought that was largely because of the way Van Egmont came in and did that. And it, it made me excited because if Kara Cooney-Cross can continue to do so well in that defensive midfield role, we should get to keep seeing the best of Emily Van Egmond in that more attacking role. And at the end of the day, that's that's what we want to see. We want to see our best players, I think we talked about it earlier, Sam, in their best positions, hitting their straps in full flight. And we got a good glimpse of that from what, um, what Van Egmond can provide and... I hope we just keep seeing more of that because when she's up and about, she's a genuine delight to watch. And it's it's a credit to, as we mentioned before, Kyra Cooney-Cross and to Mickey Yallop and that structure overall that Tony deployed for helping to get the best out of her. I think you're right about the Emily Van Egmond thing. Like she's not particularly quick. And I, I wonder again if that's because we, we're so used to these incredibly athletic players who do the zoomies that we attach so much value to that when it's like the what she, yeah the what she brings to the number 10 role is different and that's really important and yeah she loves to to lope our Emily but that also means that she makes those runs and she just sort of just cruises in there and then kapow it's just fit. I love I love watching her um score those kinds of goals also I just wanted to touch on the fact that with the Fowler goal did anyone see what happened with Letitia the goalkeeper she was just yeah she was just like sort of falling you know when a cat sort of jumps and misses their landing and they're like anyway and you could see in her face what what had happened as the ball like hit the back of the net it's real I it's real unfortunate for her. Um, but yeah, that's, I just wanted to, to touch on that bit of comedy. Yeah. I, I, I think Van Egmond, she has, I think one of the best game brains of any of the Matildas. Like she, it, it, it's almost like she needs to create more time for herself to make the perfect decision. She just needs like half a millisecond more. And, and, I think she has found a way to, because in football, space is time, right? And I think Van Egmond is really good at being able to put herself in a pocket of space that allows her an extra moment of time to make a good decision. And you saw exactly that in the assist for Mary Fowler's goal. Like, yes, Brazil didn't press her. Yes, they could have done better, but she made that decision herself. She made the decision to find that pocket of space in order to give herself that opportunity to look up, to see the run of Fowler at the back post and to shape her body in a way that meant that that cross was going to go absolutely over the top of everybody and land right on her noggin, which is, which is excellent. That's a sign of a really smart player to me and of a, a player who understands really deeply their own abilities. She, she doesn't pretend to be the quickest. She doesn't pretend to do something that she's not good at. And Angela, I liked what you said there about maybe the reason she feels a bit out of place is because we're so used to thinking of the Matildas as this incredibly athletic running team. And Van Egmond doesn't do that. She is not the runner. She's the thinker. She's the puppet master that pulls all the strings and makes those kinds of decisions. And I think every team needs someone like that. 
some teams can get away with it. I think every team needs to have someone who can do something like that and command those spaces and make those decisions. So I'm really pleased for, for Emily. I think this was the performance that she needed in the Matildas. We saw obviously what she dominated during the Olympic qualifiers, but that's, that was a while ago now, you know, we haven't really seen her play very much after she left West Ham. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think that she, she was great. I hope that she gets a starting spot against Brazil on Tuesday and she's able to back it up. Um, but again, I mean, maybe we'll talk about this now. Like, what would we actually like to see in this second game? Now, do we want to have a, a dominant performance again? Do we want to have a clean sweep of this two-game series? Do we want to see more experimentation? Do we like, what do we want to see from, from Tony and from the players? All of it. <laughs> All the things, experimentation all those, all and a 10-0 win. Yes. Why not? I like your I like your thoughts on Van Avon starting, Sam. And um, before I get into that, I, I like I remember it happens every year, right? When I cover AFO and you have your AFO draft. And this would be the same in all sports where they do the testing, like the sprint testing, agility testing, all this stuff. And you'll have things like a 20-meter sprint, and people will be like, oh, this player did it in less than three seconds, but this one was 3.01. But so often you will get players, and this rings true in other sports, where they don't need to be that 0.2 of a second quicker because they think so much quicker than everyone else. And that's what I think Van Egmond does. And the way you described that just reminded me of that. She just knows where to be and when, and she just glides around. And that is, oh, I would love to see her start. I think that would be fantastic. I think, as I said, she added that composure. We were very hectic from the get-go, but when she came in, she um, put her foot on the ball and sort of settled things down. I'll be interested to see if, um, say, Davinia starts for Brazil um, because she's scary when she plays. And when she wasn't, when she came on, I was like, oh, no, it's 2-1 and this could get real scary real quickly. And obviously we sealed it but yeah I'd like to see Van Egmont start um I think a lot of it will depend on how everyone backs up um you know long playing trip few days of training some players playing a full 90 um like I wonder with players like Kaya Simon who's clearly already on limited minutes and Caitlin Ford how they'll back up um yeah I think Van Egmont stunning is the main thing I just want to see the same intent like I think that game was so enjoyable and I know there's they're not going to be able to replicate that initial burst of first game at home in forever so I hope people don't expect a replica of that exact energy um but I think we'll we'll see we should hopefully see something similar rotation might be important but yeah I think we want to see this team come out and be on the front foot again and uh, once again, just give people an encore in terms of that energy, even if you can't replicate the same amount. Sam, what do you want to see? Yeah, well, in addition, I like, yes, I agree with all of that, but I also want to say that I really want to see more of Marta. I was so like, when oh my she God, came yes. on, when she came on, on Saturday night, the noise in the stadium was incredible not just from the Brazil fans either. It was from the Australian fans because this is one of the most decorated footballers in the history of the sport. You know, like this is Marta. And like when there was footage of her warming up on the sideline, you could feel the buzz building in the stadium with her bright red lipstick. I just love her so much. And she, like, she did things as well. Again, she was, she is a, as an Emily Van Egmont in that sense, she can change a game with a single pass, a single decision. So I, I, you know, Pia was sort of asked about Marta after the game as well. And she was like, well, it's, you know, the travel has been a lot as well. Um, Quarantine like situation, the bubble Um, she's, on the older side now, she's in her mid thirties. Um, she's, you know, still in the process of doing stuff with her club, and you know, so they have to sort of keep her as 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 wrapped in in cotton wool as possible because she's just this national treasure. But I, I would love to see her and and Dabinia start. I think that that's a, the most deadly combination of players that Brazil have got at the moment. Dabinia has been in unbelievable form over in the United States for a, a good season or two now. Um, and yeah, and I, I think that that's, it's going to be a, it I think the second game is going to be Brazil's statement game. I, I think they really want to re- respond to the three, one loss and come out firing and give their home fans who they went over and celebrated with after the game, uh, like a, a really happy memory of this visit because it's been such a long time since they've been here. Right. 
Um, and and to see someone like Marta be at the center of that, maybe playing on Australian soil for the last time in her career, like that, that would be really incredible. Yeah, and with this Brazil side, I'm I don't have a great head for names, but they were quite scary in moments. And it's going to be really interesting to see how Pia Sundhag like redevelops the team and what they're going to look like come the World Cup because I think it's going to be an even scarier sort of situation um, because they've got so many young guns that are also sort of in the similar sort of situation being blooded and um, developing and really tested us in places. Um, Speaking of that, I'm interested to see, I felt like, I don't know if anyone else can speak to this, but so with Alana Kennedy, in the back line, it feels like Tony's back in her, back in her in now um, to be, you know, that that leader in our back line, which is I was sort of waiting for that moment or a sign, I guess, if, if, if that's what it was going to be. And I'm not sure if there's anything that we don't know about that's shifted things there. But then that also leaves the question of who will join her in the years to come because, I don't know, Polks doesn't seem to be letting up though. Let's just say she's she's doing fine, but it is sort of that question of young defenders. So um, Kali Rusbacken, I would really like to see maybe Kali Rusbacken um, get a few minutes. I know I said that on the preview pod as well. It, and it will be interesting because you guys, are, you know, get Marta and Davina on. So do we set up conservatively to knowing that Brazil are going to want to beat us up or do we, you know, throw in some of the kids to get some more minutes under their belt and try out, I guess, um, some more formations with a bit more pressure, I guess, with those added minutes. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Harry? I love that Tony's um, gone all in and backing up Alana Kennedy of obviously post-match and Sam, I know you were there. He got asked about Alana Kennedy's moment where <laughs> slipped, lost possession. Brazil obviously scored from that. It was a clanger. Um, it seems like he's really in Alana Kennedy's corner. Like, and as she's a confidence player, and I think we'll take a lot from that. She's had sort of a stuttering time, stuttering start to life at Man City as well. And we know that she can be due a clanger here or there, but on the whole, very good player can set up the play, um, good in the air. Like there are a lot of positive things about Alana Kennedy as a player. I really like Courtney Nevin. I hope she will come in at some point and start to, I guess, stamp herself on the Matildas a little bit. I think she might take a full W League season at Melbourne Victory to do that. I think she'll be, she's a real player of the future as well as Carly Rossbacken. Um, but I like that he's gone all in in backing in Alana Kennedy. As you mentioned, Polk's is maybe slowing down a little bit in pace, but certainly not in guile and <laughs> defensive ability and goal scoring. Um, but Alana Kennedy is clearly going to be marshalling this defence with Steph Catley and Ellie Carpenter for at least the next few years. She's got 100 caps um, under her belt by the age of 26. Um, Tony clearly rates her. She's a good character. She's a leader. And I think the way to... And it seems to be the way that Tony, as an assistant coach with the US, handled players like... you. Sam Mewis and your Rose Lavelle is backing them in. Like, and I think that's so important for a lot of players. Some players like to get the hard word. Others need the arm around the shoulders and to feel like they're being backed in. And I think that is the approach that Tony is taking with Alana Kennedy. And I really hope we see the rewards reaped there. So one thing I would really like to see is Alana Kennedy get through this next full game with without a moment where she's worrying about a clanger. She could have easily in another game, I think Polk's just covered her in time, um, got sent off um, that yellow card that she got early. Polk's just got back to be the last defender in time and it was a friendly, which probably went in her favour. So it's just, I think, settling down, getting the nerves out and, uh, yeah, I, I hope that Tony's clear faith in her can, can pay off in these games to come yeah I I asked the question of Tony about Alana Kennedy because it was like it was not just a a a really high pressure game for the Matildas but it was a particularly high pressure game for her it was a hundredth cap she was wearing the captain's armband first game on home soil in almost two years she couldn't see her family you know she couldn't touch her family who she is so so close to as well after such a long time away overseas so there were a lot of eyes on her and she did slip up but Tony's response when I asked him about his assessment of Kennedy's game more broadly 
he absolutely came into bat for her. The first thing that he said was, you know, it's easy to focus on the mistake, but you know, the, the ball that she received back from Van Egmond was a, was a hard one. It was a, it was sort of midair. It was spinning. It was hit quite hard at her as well. It's difficult to control. Lots of people would make that mistake as well, but he said, focusing on an error like that can often blind you to a player's performance and focusing on the the other 93 minutes of her game he said that she was really good she said that she seems much more confident and that she's she's very aware that she has not been in great form over the last couple of months and that has been playing on her mind like they've they've talked about it as part of the camp as well and so these these games, these friendlies and going into the friendlies in November, going into the Asian Cup, they're going to be a process of building Kennedy's confidence as well because they've taken it's taken a bit of a hit. She's had a couple of these moments over the last few games and it would affect anybody, but it would particularly affect a player like Kennedy in a game like this when there's so much attention on her, there's so much pressure on the team and there's the added stress of not being able to turn to the people she loves most for a hug you know, like it's, I think it's, it's, it's very easy to forget that these professional athletes are actually just people. And a lot of them are young women, young women who have only recently moved into the world of full professional sport, women who need these support systems around them because that's what they've had for their entire lives. And all of a sudden COVID and all these other circumstances have ripped that away from them. So to be back on home soil and still not be able to have that one thing that you want most, like a hug from your parent or your sister or your best friend, like that must be really, really hard. And it was, I was really lovely seeing on social media afterwards from the Matildas account, the video that, uh, that mm. was filmed of the players going around after the game and seeing, finding their families in the crowd and waving. And, and Kennedy is one of those players who just burst into tears as soon as she saw them because she is so close to them. They come to every game that she's ever played, you know, and shout out to, to the Kennedys as well. They're, they're from my hometown, Campbelltown. We're both Campbelltown buddies. Um, so, and, and they're, they're a fantastic family. They love the, they love them, the support, they support the Matildas and it must just be so difficult for them as a team and, and for Kennedy in particular in that moment to not be able to have that. So, yeah, so I, but anyway, that's a roundabout way of saying I really respected the way that Tony responded to my question about Kennedy because his first instinct was to defend her. And that's exactly what she needs, I think, is to have someone come in and be on her side, be in her corner in moments like this. So I, I really love that about him. Sammy mentioned that video and Alana Kennedy's front and centre in one of these because it's obviously after her 100th game. You see her and Kai Simon's not too far away and Alana's going, you can see her like in her mouth saying, where's my family? Can you see my family? And she spots them out and then Tony comes over and he's got an arm around her and she's yeah. pointing out who their family is and he waves and he gives them a clap and yep. all those sorts of things. And that's a coach that cares for his players and um that is what a lot of players respond to, feeling like their coach is in their corner. And I like that you referenced that about the families, um, Sam, because it would have been so difficult. You could see even with the fans, like players having to explain, I can't, I can't touch you. I can't go near you. Like they're trying to do these players doing these selfies from metres away. I can't come near. And for players who've been away from their family, and I also feel for like a Sam Kerr, for example, whose family is in Perth, so wouldn't have been able to even get there because of border restrictions. Um, you mentioned these players in Sydney, um, and I saw Simone Ford in the stands as well, the Ford family, and there were plenty of other players who had family members in there, and they couldn't even give them a hug. And after months and months, and for a couple of them, like Caitlin Ford hadn't actually been home since signing for Arsenal. Same with Steph Catley, whose family is in Melbourne. Um, and another one is I spoke to Tamiki Yolup during the week and she left um, for a pre-Olympics training camp. She has a 14-month-old daughter, Harley, with friend of the pod, Kirsty Yolup, and she's not actually been able to see them since because she wanted to go directly from the Olympics to New Zealand, wasn't able to do that, and then border restrictions and lockdowns on both sides of the Tasman meant she couldn't get from Queensland to New Zealand. So she hasn't seen her family since June and doesn't know when she'll see them again, and that's got to take a toll. And it's a real credit to all of these players that um, as much as it was the first game on home soil and a homecoming, for a lot of them it didn't actually mean a family reunion. Like, I think that's a really important thing to note. And, again, as you say, Sam, it's a real credit to them all, the way they were able to perform and, uh, I guess, strut their stuff the way they did while having that sort of difficult situation. And, thankfully, we know that, quarantine restrictions are going to be changing soon. So in Victoria and New South Wales, players will be able to come home 
because they're double vaccinated citizens, be able to come home, get straight back to seeing, you know, straight into camp, but then be able to see their families and not have to adhere to such tight quarantine restrictions. And I imagine that will do a lot of them the world of good um, and it will be a lot easier for these players going forward when they come home. This is a homecoming, but you hope very, very soon they'll be able to have their own sort of more intimate, special homecoming with the people that they're closest to. I only had one with the Alana Kennedy clanger. I just thought it with Tom Samani on the broadcast. I thought it, he summed it up. He was just like, you can leave that one out. It's, <laughs> I love that. And I was like, it's true. We can ignore that because you only really pay it. To some, I think, you know, defenders talk about this, but sometimes you only get attention, unwanted attention when you, you, you poo the bed a little bit. But Alana Kennedy otherwise had a fantastic game. So, yeah, definitely understand that. One more thing I would like to see, a few of the players that didn't get a run, I'd love to see uh, hit the field in the in the second game. Um, you mentioned Carly Rossback and Courtney Nevin, Angie Beard. If we see any of these get a run, that'd be really nice because I, I get the sense, and Sam said it so well with the debutants at the start, um, and even like Claire Willis who came on, getting to play experience uh, playing in front of a home crowd for the first time is so special, and I hope that more of them get to experience it in the next game and also a win another win that'd be nice I was gonna say as well with the players not being able to see their families I wonder if that would have also just been a a boost a massive boost to just know that your family were in the stands watching you so but yeah the footage when they were like um looking for their families I'm like which was Matilda's where contacts because I would absolutely blank me mum in that sort of situation and then get an earful later on being like why didn't you wave at me I'm like good to see this is in the extreme hypothetical that I would play for them until it was but um, yeah Tony hit me up anyway I shouldn't laugh as much as I just did but it was very funny I also just want to like second the shout out to the Kennedy family very nice people helped me on a train to Grenoble once I went to France anyway let's wrap things up as wait, we wait, usually wait, do. Sorry, where did you go? France. I went to France once. Oh, how many I times? Like, I don't like to talk <laughs> really? about it. Really? Why were you there? I don't like to talk about it, guys, <laughs> but I went to France once. Don't know if you guys know about France. Beautiful little place in the Europe. It's in the Europe. <laughs> Europe. <laughs> oh, if anything has shown that we need to wrap this up, uh, yeah. I think... Complete, I've lost the plot. I really get wrangling, Marissa. You're meant to be the one keeping us in check. I blame France personally. No good comes from France. That's a lie. I love France. Good place. Anyway, how goods? Let's do some how goods. Anna, a how good, please. Yeah, mine's a sort of double how good. Um, just and sure, as Sam mentioned, the atmosphere being incredible before, but I loved seeing um, the way not just the Australian fans, but not just the Australian players, but the Brazilian players got around their fans. Um, it wasn't just a homecoming to football for the players. It was for a lot of those fans as well, getting to support their country and players that they love in the stands for the first time in a very long time, especially those Brazil fans. Um, credit to Sydney. I, I did give them a rev up last pod. It looks like they well and truly listened and delivered in terms of the atmosphere stakes. And it was fantastic to see such a fantastic away contingent as well being loud and having a great time and making the occasion as special it is. And I think Sam mentioned earlier, making the Australian fans lift because there's nothing worse than when you go to like a Socceroos game and there's no sort of big buzz. Um, Football's, you know, like international football's at its best when like at the Socceroos or Matildas games, the crowd's sort of as one. And I think having such an active and raucous Brazil um, fan section really helped. So it was fantastic to see both sets of fans um, really get around. And we saw Marta actually giving a, a little love heart to the Brazil fans up in the stands, which would have made their night given how much they already love her. Um, so, yeah, uh, both both teams really appreciating the fans because football is nothing without fans. How good? I was just going to say, just a quick boot in there. I'll get to my how good, but just before I do, I would like to say, don't advertise New South Wales to me, 10 play, okay? I would have loved, absolutely bloody loved to have been there. I would love to go to New South Wales. I don't say that often, but it was just the timing. It felt like it was rubbing it in a little bit. Like, I know I'm sitting outside at a tram stop, outside the post office hotel, watching the game on my phone. I would rather be at the game, to be honest. Okay, thank you. That's it. That's the boot. Just advertising that is probably just 
completely randomized, targeting me personally. No, thank you. Anyway, sorry, Sam. (laughs) Carry on, Sam. I, I mean, my how good was actually sort of in relation to that, Angela, my how good was about the television broadcast for the fans who weren't able to be in Sydney to, to watch the game live. No, it was fantastic. I just, the ad, it was just the ad. I, I've got to complain about something, you know, take it away, Sam. <laughs> Well, my my how good this week was the fact that uh, the Matildas against Brazil game was the highest rated game uh, on Channel Ten on Saturday for the entire day, which is fantastic. Uh, I think it attracted about three over three hundred thousand people in the metro areas alone, which is wonderful. I don't know what the stats are outside of that. I don't know what the stats are in terms of streaming either, but that's a, a wonderful statistic, and it just sort of proves the the point right that if you put women's sport on tv in prime time on a saturday night it's free to air people are going to watch it particularly a clash like this which is so fantastic so yeah shout out to channel 10 shout out to all this broadcast stuff that's happening around the matildas and around the a-leagues as well i think we're going to start to see this sort of stuff happen more often Sam, just to double down that how good the Media Week release about that actually said that the Saturday share that that game had of 9.9% was better than any of the previous 41 weeks on Channel 10. Like, yeah, yeah. people want to watch the Matildas. Give them prime time. Put them on free to wear. Watch the Matildas come. come. Yeah. How good. I think we all knew that, like, the following on from the Olympics, there was, like, there's, in, there's always interest in this team, but there's some real interest in this team. And during the Olympics, I thought to myself, God, Channel 10 must be just loving themselves sick right now, watching all of this, seeing the figures and whatever, and knowing that they were going to be a part of that real soon. So it's nice that that's kind of been validated and come to fruition. Angela, how good? My how good is just sort of like a 2.0 to that, because yes, lots of people watched the game but I just wanted to give a shout out to I guess the whole sort of broadcast package I thought it was really well done um commentary was was schmick I don't I don't often compliment Simon Hill but Simon Hill and GYD on comms and they had a panel with Tara Russian and friend of the pod Grace Gill you'll love to see it um short king Tom Samani didn't realize he was a short king but anyway I love that for him and uh or maybe it's just because he was standing next to the very tall Andy Harper and yeah um and also just the you know getting the angles on the goals and just yeah it was all really well done and it really captured the atmosphere of the stadium as well. Just loved watching the the crowd um, and the crowd shots and that sort of thing. And yeah, I just yeah, I think in terms of you know you can you can build it and and they will come, but they will stay longer if it's you know and built nicely with you know good decor and all that jazz. So I really like the broadcast, and I'm really excited to see how. Um, things will go with the A-League women as well. Because I guess I suppose domestic matches and international matches, slightly different ballparks, but I don't see any reason why the standard won't won't keep up. So, yeah, how good. Just the absolute best, but that's enough from us. Thanks for tuning in. We've got one more game, as we've alluded to, tomorrow, Tuesday, once again at Combank Stadium in Parramatta. Kickoffs at 8.05 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time. There are tickets available if you are double vaxxed in Sydney and the surrounding areas that are allowed into Sydney. So go watch a bloody good game of football. If you can't, like us or like three of us who will be, you know, in Melbourne, you can watch it on 10 Bold and 10 Play. So there are many, many ways for you to enjoy this game and we cannot recommend it highly enough. But remember, you can find us on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. We're on Spotify, Apple and Google. If you've liked what we've done today, subscribe, leave a review. If you want to have a chat to us about stuff, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. But until next time, go Tillies and see yous.